Jesus. Thank you. Hang on, it's a bit taller than that. All right, good morning. Who likes lists? Anybody? Shopping lists? Christmas wish lists? Yeah. That list you get on your MOT certificate that tells you all the things you've got to fix on your car. Yeah, no, no, not, not that one. Okay. Well, the passage that I get to preach on today is a great big list in Joshua 12. It's a big long list of kings. Um, and this week I dug into that list. I was hoping to find hidden theological treasure in that list. I really went for it. And you know what? It's just a list of kings. <laughs> so I thought, oh, don't worry. Let's go to some theological giants. So I went online and found Calvin's commentary on Joshua 12. So he was around in the 1500s, giant in the Reformed Church. This is what he had to say about it. This chapter does not need a lengthened exposition, as it only enumerates the kings where, whose territories the Israelites gained possession of. So, yeah, thanks, Calvin, for that. Yeah. But he, he did say some more about it, to be fair, and you can find it online if you're interested. Um, but God put Joshua 12 in our Bible for a reason. He put it there to help us trust him. And that's what we're going to find. We're going to find out why together this morning. So we've come to an exciting place in Joshua. The Israelites have entered into the land. They've crossed the Jordan. They've defeated kings left, right and center. And they're ready to distribute the land between them. And chapter 11, which we did last week, finished like this. It said, so Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from, from war. And now it's time to celebrate with a list that spells out God's faithfulness. Chapter 12 looks back on all that God's done so far, defeating those kings. And it looks forward to all that's to come, dividing the land up. And, and looking forward to the Israelites enjoying living in the land that God's won. And the undercurrent of this passage is a message from God to you and me. And it goes like this. Take heart. Because Jesus is powerful. And Jesus is faithful. And Jesus is coming. Yeah, take heart because Jesus is powerful, Jesus is faithful, and Jesus is coming. But before we explore this message together, I'd like us to think a little bit about oppression. Because that's where today's passage is going, really. Um, oppression. So what is oppression? Oppression is where someone's strong and in a position of power, tries to squash down people under them. Oppression is the president who uses his military to keep his people quiet. Oppression is Uyghur people in China who are being put into forced labor camps. Oppression is Putin bombing theaters. And oppression is closer to home too. It's the boss who shouts and abuses. It's the bullies in the playground um, who laugh and give you the silent treatment. It's the systems in our society that keep us addicted to debt and to drink and to gambling and that stop us getting out of it. That's oppression. 
and you know i'm sure we're all aware that even this nation that we're living in has been an oppressor in the past that made a lot of money out of out of trafficking people it's really ugly oppression makes us feel powerless and it makes us feel squashed and maybe even as i'm speaking now you're thinking of something or someone that has oppressed you well i'm going to give out some little crowns So here they are. Um, maybe could I have Ryan? Would you help me pass these out, please? Could you, could you help pass these? Or maybe Saeed, if you're if you're brave enough. We've got some little crowns. I'd like you to just think if anything that I've been when I've been speaking about oppression. Could you give one to everybody? Could you give one to everybody for me? Thank you. So if you'd like, just write down on that crown the name, maybe the initials of someone or something that oppresses you, that makes you feel squashed, that makes you feel scared. Write it down on this little crown and then keep hold of it. Okay, we'll, um, we'll come back to them later. You don't have to use full names. You could use initials if you want to. So something that oppresses you, makes you feel scared and squashed. And as you do that, let me tell you about the land of Canaan. Because before the Israelites came in, Canaan was full of kings. They weren't super important or super famous, but they had power and they held on to that power by keeping other people down. So Deuteronomy 17 gives us a flavor of what they were like because it's what is warning Israel's kings not to be like that. It's like a mirror image. So we can see that the Canaanite kings, they built strong fortress cities. And they gathered strong armies using military technology like horses and chariots to keep hold of power. And they took lots of wives and they didn't treat women well. And they took lots of money for themselves, silver and gold, and they took it off of the people. They made themselves richer by making the people poorer. And that's not how God wants his leaders to be. When people are like that, God sees and God cares and God does something about it. Okay, that's okay. So have you got something written on your crown if you managed to get one? If you didn't, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> some oppression or some injustice in your life. It might be quite raw and recent, or it might be a, an older pain. And children, you might not have experienced oppression yet, and that's a wonderful thing. But you need to know that there are some people in the room who have. They know what it's like to be squashed. And you need to know how to encourage them. And you need to have some hope. So if it comes in your life, you know how to deal with it. Okay, so keep listening. So keep hold of your crowns. We'll come back to them later. But thousands of years ago, God's land was full of oppression and injustice. And that was a huge problem. Because God's kingdom is always at war with oppression and injustice. But friends, take heart because God is powerful. Let's read chapter 12. Now, as we read it, it's, it's difficult to understand because it's to us because it's a list of names. But have a look under your chair and you might find a map. If it's not under your chair, it'll be under uh, maybe a friend's. I've got some spares I'll put in the middle as well that are bigger. And there's a list as well of all the places that are mentioned. 
So as we read chapter 12, could you try and find those places on your map? And you can maybe circle them on there or tick them off. Yeah, and if you manage to find them all, come and tell me at the end, okay? But let's read Joshua 12. So Joshua chapter 12. These are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all the eastern side of the Arabah. Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, he ruled from Aroa on the rim of the Arnon Gorge, from the middle of the gorge, to the river Jabbok, which is in the border of the Ammonites. This included half of Gilead. He also ruled over the eastern Arabah from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, to Beth Jeshimoth, and then southwards below the slopes of Pisgah. And the territory of Og, king of Bashan, one of the last of the Rephaites who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edrei. He ruled over Mount Hermon, Salakar, all of Bashan to the border of the people of Geshur and Makar, and half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites conquered them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to be their possession. Here is a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir. Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel, according to their tribal divisions. The lands included the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were the kings. I need your help for this bit, okay? The king of Jericho. The king of Ai near Bethel. Can you say the ones for me? The king of Jerusalem. The king of Hebron. The king of Jarmuth. The king of Lachish. The king of Eglon. The king of Gezer. The king of Debir. The king of Geder. The king of Hormah. The king of Arad. The king of Libna. The king of Adullam. The king of Makedar. The king of Bethel. The king of Tapua the king of Hepha, the king of Aphek, the king of Lasharon, the king of Madon, the king of Hazor, the king of Shimron Meron, the king of Akshaf, the king of Tanakh, the king of Megiddo, the king of Kedesh, the king of Jokniam in Carmel, the king of Dor in Naphtor, the king of Goyim in Gilgal, the king of Tirzah, 31 kings in all. Praise the Lord. So how did you get on? Anyone found all the places yet? You can keep going if you like. Keep looking for them. They aren't just names. They were real places with real people living real lives in them. When the Israelites read this chapter to each other, it would be a lot more exciting for them. They would have known and visited the places. For us, it'd be like reading the King of Chatham, one. The King of Sittingbourne, one. The King of Rochester, one. 
the King of Canterbury. That's it, Ryan's got it. Now, I'm not going to take you through all the kings and all their lands, you'll be pleased to hear, but I'll give you a few highlights, okay? First, Big Og. Big Og, he, he, um, where did he reign? He reigned over on the east side of the river, up in Bashan. And he was a giant, it says. One of the Rephaim says that in verse 4. The story of the battle is back in Deuteronomy chapter 3. And it says Big Og's bed was made of iron. And it was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. So that's as wide as I am tall and, and as, as long, about twice my height. He's a big guy, okay, Big Og. And remember, when Moses first sent spies into the land, most of them saw these huge people and they were too scared to go in. They weren't just big, they were wicked too. But now here's Big Og, a giant king, defeated. Because however powerful he was, God is more powerful. Amen? Nothing in your life is more powerful than God. However strong and scary it seems to you, they are tiny compared to God. And then one more example, the city of Hazor in the north. So this one, uh, this is the one from chapter 11 we did last week. And that king gathered a huge army. It says as many as the sand on the seashore with chariots and horses. It's like the tanks and the air cover of those days, the top military technology. But here he is, just another number in a list of defeated kings. Mighty army, mightier God. Amen? All right. When we see oppression, take heart because God is powerful. Now, there was another Israelite leader who walked those same lands and he walked around those same towns proclaiming freedom for captives. His Hebrew name was also Joshua, and like the Joshua in chapter 12, he was the captain of God's people, and he won a massive victory by obeying God, and his name in Greek is Jesus. He also came into the land to bring God's kingdom, and God's kingdom is always at war with oppression and injustice. So in Acts 10 verse 38, it says this about Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, all who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. He came to do battle with the strongest enemy of God's people, the biggest oppressor, the ancient dragon, Satan. Satan hates God and he hates people. He hates everything that's good and beautiful, and he's trying his hardest to drag everyone down with him. But Jesus is the stronger man. Jesus is the one who came and he bound up Satan and he plundered his house. How did he do it? Not with a big army. He did it like this. He died on a cross. You see, just like the Canaanites kings, and the Canaanites living under their kings, we lived under the oppressive power of Satan. He had power over us because we did evil. We resisted God's kingdom. 
We didn't love God with all our heart and soul and strength. We didn't love our neighbors ourselves. We belonged to the kingdom of darkness. And our sin gave Satan a right to condemn us and drag us away with him. But Satan isn't the most powerful king. Jesus is. Trust him. Jesus was punished in our place. All the devil's accusations against us were cancelled out. And Jesus took us out of the devil's dominion and put us in his kingdom of light. Just like Rahab, we trust Yahweh, the powerful God, and he's rescued us. Friends, trust him because he's faithful. Listen to these words from Colossians. We joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you trust Jesus? Have you committed to um, to follow him with all your life? Then take heart because God is powerful. He's stronger than Satan, and he's brought you into his camp. Now, Jesus didn't just take away the punishment for our sin. He gives us power to put sin to death in our lives as well by the Holy Spirit. And it might be that when we were talking about oppression, you identified more with the oppressors than the ones who were being oppressed. Well, God's kingdom is always at war with oppression and injustice. But his spirit is more powerful even than your own sin. So ask for his help to put sin to death in your life and take heart because God is powerful to do it. So let's recap. What's God been saying so far? First, take heart because Jesus is more powerful than the powers and the people who oppress you. Secondly, take heart because Jesus is faithful to save you. If you trust him like Rahab, he'll uh, rescue you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now just one final point from this passage, okay? Take heart because Jesus is coming. It's striking reading these places these kings are from because some of them weren't even conquered in Joshua's time. Like the king of Jerusalem, he's named, he was defeated, but Jerusalem, the city, anyone found that on the map anywhere? Who's found Jerusalem? George has got it just about south a little bit. There it is. Jerusalem wasn't defeated until David's time, hundreds of years later. And um, if you have time to read through the rest of the history books, so Judges and Samuel and Kings, you'll see that even the places that have been captured, they get taken over by enemies again later because the Israelites weren't faithful. Okay, they lose the land. So this victory in Joshua is only a little taste of victory. The triumphant tone of this chapter points forward in time to the last conquest when Jesus returns. In the last verse of chapter 11, we read that the land had rest from war. But Hebrews 4 verse 8 says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Joshua did defeat 31 kings. He did destroy their strongholds. He did conquer their military. It was a great time, but it wasn't a total victory. Enemies remained throughout the countryside. 
Joshua didn't give his people rest in the land, but Jesus will. He will come again, and when he does, he will completely conquer all oppression and injustice and powers and authorities that oppose him. So have you got your crowns from earlier? Remember the oppression that we still experience today? Jesus is coming to destroy it. So take heart, because Jesus is coming. So let's give it a bit of an example, okay? Um, I've got some kings up here at the front. So these are the strong things in our lives that squashes and scare us. Who's got a crown that they want to come and pop on top of one of these to represent the things that are squashing and scaring you? Okay, so if you've got a crown, especially if you've written a name on it, come up to the front, pop your crown on it, and we'll see what Jesus does with these oppressors. Go on, you choose one and pop it on top. That's it, well done. There you go, it's having another go. Oh, there we go. That's it, well done. There's a few more as well. Okay, and then, do you guys want to come to the back of the room with me? Then we can do the exciting bit. well done let's all go to the back because when jesus comes he's going to see these these kings these powers these authorities that are lined up with their crowns of all the ways they're squashing us and what's jesus going to do he come down isn't he do you want to have a go okay let's move some of these out the way okay go on ryan oh Let's try again. Go on, Sahid. Oh, no, Ryan got in the way. Okay, okay, okay. Let's give on to Sahid. Go on. Yeah, that's it. Okay, there's still some more. There's still more standing. Who wants to go? Let's bank them back out of the way. Good try. Go on, Saeed. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well done, okay? There's going to there's gonna be nothing standing of them. Nothing standing. Well done, guys. Let's give them a clap. All right. We can do that. We can do that more later when we're getting ready for the food, okay? We'll get them back out again. But Jesus is the conquering king, okay? He's no pushover. We don't need to fear. We're in his camp. We're on his side. Just as we read out that list of 31 kings in Joshua chapter 12, there will be pages and pages and pages of powers and abusers and oppressors that Jesus has conquered. Evil powers that are completely destroyed by Jesus. He's the conquering king and he's coming soon. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Listen to what Psalm 2 says about him. This is Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up 
and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's break their chains. Let's throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son so he will not be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now there's a warning and an invitation there. The warning is when Jesus comes, he will knock down everyone who opposes him like those skittles. And he'll do it in one shot, okay? The kingdom of God is always at war with oppression and injustice. They can't exist together. Jesus isn't a pushover. He's powerful. But there's an invitation too. He's faithful. Come and take refuge in him. Take refuge from those who are squashing you down. Take refuge from your own sin and its consequences. He's dealt with it already. When he comes, there will be a huge list of the powers that have submitted to him. Putin, one. That abusive boss, one. That playground bully, one. That president of China, one. The president of Nigeria, one. The king of England, one. Yeah, what name will you see on that list? Oppressors will either be in the list of defeated kings or in the Lamb's Book of Life because they've repented and trusted in Jesus. Jesus is powerful, but he's good and faithful. He doesn't use his power to take advantage of you. He's the servant king. The foot washing king, the king who doesn't use a huge military force to take lots of wives and steal all your money. He's the king of righteousness and he's the prince of peace. Isaiah 9 speaks of him in words that we know from Christmas, but they're about his rule and reign that's to come. This is what Isaiah 9 says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice before you as people um, when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. He's shattered the yoke that burdens you. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Wow. I mean, to experience the rule of a king like that. 
who stands up for the powerless, who lays down his life for his people, who gives the meek an inheritance. Whenever Moses gets mentioned in chapter 12, he's called the servant of Yahweh. Jesus is the servant king. And what will it be like for us when he comes? Three things to think about as we finish. First, there will be rest in the land. As all enemies are cleared away, no more shouty bosses, no more bullies, no more gangs, no more weeds or electricity bills, no more disease or pain or death, no more accusations from Satan, rest from all our enemies. Enjoying the fruits of our labor, enjoying all the beauty of creation, the sun, rainbows, great food, laughter, blessed rest. This is what's coming to us, friends. And there will be peace. No more war. Isaiah also says he will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. No more conflict between the serpent and the seed of the woman. Jesus has won. No challenges remaining. Only blood-bought brothers and sisters to enjoy the peace. And finally, there will be joy in his presence. We will be with him. No shame, no sin, just perfect love. You will stand before him with the whole universe watching and hear him say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Friends, Joshua chapter 12 is a list of God's faithfulness. 31 kings conquered by Moses and Joshua and Israel, but it's only a taste. It's pointing us towards a much greater victory. When the world is dark, when oppression comes, take heart because Jesus is powerful. Remember the skittles, all oppressive powers knocked down. When we recognize our own sin, take heart because Jesus is faithful. Remember Rahab, We've been taken out of that camp into God's camp. And especially this week, as we see all the golden glitter of the coronation, take heart because Jesus is coming to rule and to reign over all the universe, to bring rest and peace and joy. So celebrate, hope, keep on living good lives as foreigners and exiles as you wait for him to come. You don't need to get your own way with power. It's the meek who will inherit. We fight back against oppression with the gospel. We pray for those who persecute us. They need your prayers. They're no match for God. So take heart because Jesus is powerful. Jesus is faithful and Jesus is coming. It'd be great to spend some time now just turning our hearts to worship him. But if... if if you have been oppressed, if you are undergoing oppression at the moment, don't suffer in silence. Come talk to one of us. We want to help, okay? We can't do anything. God can do all things. So come come talk to us, okay? Um, and let's, let's lift our eyes. Let's lift our eyes to Jesus who's coming to rule and reign. Joel, maybe you could come start playing for us. And I'd just love to read a psalm as we finish, a psalm that celebrates Jesus' kingship, Psalm 45.
So as we turn our eyes to him now, let's sing along these lines. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. Let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, from music of the string that makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. That's us. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. What a glorious future is ahead of us. Let's worship him now. Let's stand up and sing. Everyone needs to have shipping. Savior, he is not 
Jesus, 